Our text this morning in your bulletin, 1 Corinthians 8. What do you do with food sacrificed to idols? This was as practical to believers then as questions about dealing with social media are for us today. We look to the reading of God's word if you would join me in prayer. Lord God, you tell us in your word that your scriptures are indeed breathed out by you, that they're useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And we ask, Lord, that this day, that from your word, you would reveal to us your truth for our lives, that your truth would conquer proud and anxious hearts, that we indeed would be trained in your righteousness. And this we pray and ask through Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Beginning in verse 1. Now concerning foods offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are not worse off if we do not eat, and not better if we do. But take care that the rights of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge in eating an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. The word of the Lord. Have you ever met a Samaritan you didn't like? They all are, after all, good Samaritans. There are only about 800 Samaritans living today in Israel. And the ancient hostilities have long since been forgotten by modern Jews. So Jesus telling a story about a good Samaritan has little to no emotional impact on us today. We have to think of it in different categories to get the same effect. A church asking Paul about what to do with food offered to idols is similar. Costco does not have a temple connected to the meat department. Food is not sacrificed first to idols. There is nothing there that we're going to have to wonder about. Was it sacrificed to Zeus, Apollos, or Venus, or anything else before it was butchered? We can go shopping. We can eat in restaurants. We can invite people to a backyard barbecue. And not one time have we ever had a crisis of conscience about if it was offered to a pagan deity or not. Questions of was it a free-range chicken or organic, it's about as close as we're going to get. It has nothing to do with idolatry. When we talk about idols, we have to talk about idols of the heart, not pagan worship. And this tells us something about the enormous victory of the gospel into the world. At the time of Jesus, nearly all cultures had some form of blood sacrifice to deities. And now we have to explain 
what these things are to the Western world because it's so foreign to us. What is not foreign to us is the heart attitude that Paul is addressing. We need to look beyond what is most unusual for us, food and idols, and look to what is certainly not unusual for us, using our rights to run over the top of other people, using our rights to disregard others. And because we have been loved by God through Jesus, through his atoning death, then we are to love others in the same way, sacrificially. In this entire discussion about what to do with food that's been sacrificed to pagan idols, Paul points to the greater sacrifice in Christ. So from our text, we're going to first look then at what it meant to eat in ancient Corinth as we bring it into living in modern America. So eating in ancient Corinth. Chapters 8 and 9 of Corinthians deal with food offered to idols. Why does it matter? Because in the ancient world, meat was not eaten very often at all. The wealthy had it more often and the poor had it rarely. But outside of Jewish circles, most all of the meat and much of the food in the market was sacrificed to a deity in a temple. The meat market was connected to the temples. And most people, they ate bread and maybe a barley porridge, olives, a little wine, sometimes a fish relish, and meat only on holidays and special occasions. The lower classes would not have purchased a lot of food from the temples outside of religious events. Ancient Corinth has actually been excavated fairly well, and and we know a lot of this by either the writings that have been recovered or even the, the temples themselves. Temples had restaurants connected to them, dining halls that people would eat at. Several ancient invitations were found, and one of them reads like this. Apollonius requests you to dine at the table of the Lord Serapis, a Greek god, on the occasion of the coming of age of his brothers in the temple of Theorus, an Egyptian god. And they were written like that. An invitation sent out to say this is where we're going to celebrate this event in a particular temple dining hall. That was what was taking place. If you went to celebrate, you went to a dining hall connected with the temple. If you went to a private home party, the meat would have come from the same temple area. Sacrificed first to whatever deity it was of some kind. The major holidays... Community celebrations, all were directed around temple worship and food, which was first offered to whoever was being celebrated. So we think of community events, the 4th of July, we think of Thanksgiving. For them, it would have been the festival of Lafra towards Artemis. It would have been the Ionic festival honoring Apollos. That was their whole social and civic life centered on blood sacrifice at temples to pagan gods. Eating out, bringing food back from the market made life a challenge as a new Christian. And they're asking this question, what are we supposed to do with this, Paul? This is an everyday part of life for us. And that's why Paul begins, now concerning food offered to idols. He's, he's answering some of their questions is we, we know that all of us possess knowledge. And you notice that the ESV particularly puts those, some words in quotes, and those are likely either direct phrases the Corinthians asked about or buzzwords and catchphrases that they were using. And he says this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
an early writer, Chrysostom, speaking on this, he said that when knowledge is without love, it lifts men up to absolute arrogance. It's love that builds. Knowledge by itself merely inflates. And in verse 2, Paul points out that no one has full knowledge. We're all in process. No one's got it all figured out. But what's important, verse 3, is that if anyone loves God, he's known by God. It's not about what you know, but about you being known by God. He says, therefore, as to the eating of foods offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be many so-called gods in heaven and earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God. Paul makes a great confession of ancient Israel's Shema, what was referred to in Deuteronomy 6, that the Lord our God is one. And he's pulling that up, but he's making it in also in reference to Jesus. For us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And almost in exact parallel, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. There's only God. He's the only God. Whether Zeus, Apollos, or Aphrodite, the Greeks, or Meriduk, Baal, or Asherah, the Canaanites, there's just one God. Those others are false gods. They're not real in the way that God is. But notice he ties Jesus to this as the creator. One God in three persons. The reality of who God is. And Paul is saying that because there seems to be two groups of people in Corinth dealing with this, the strong and the weak. The strong, they understood all this pretty well. There's only one God. Idols aren't anything at all. Theologically, they got it. And the weak group, they were struggling. They were coming out of worshiping pagan gods, and they were very concerned about a new life in Christ and not being tempted to go back into their old patterns. So they were really bothered by this. And Paul goes and says, however, not all possess this knowledge that idols are nothing. But some, because of their former association with idols, eat food as if it's really being offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. That's the problem. There are, are some who one group of Christians is calling them weak. And, and so they are in some ways, but they're, they're trying to live faithfully for Jesus. And Paul, he very clearly says, food is not going to commend us to God. We're not worse off if we eat and no better if we do. It's similar to what Jesus said, that what goes into you does not defile you, but what comes out of your mouth via your heart is what defiles you. The issue is not food. The issue is your heart. That's why Paul says in verse 9, take care that this right of yours, this understanding that idols are nothing, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge of eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? You're going to bring him back into a way of life that he's repented of, that she's left behind. Now, Paul makes a distinction between what might be brought home from the market and actually going to a temple restaurant. He's saying yes to one and, and no to the other, and that's going to be more in chapter 10. 
He, he clarifies more of that. And the reason is, is that while God alone is God, demons exist. These celebrations around ancient gods are nothing more than demonic worship. There isn't a Zeus, an Apollos, an Aphrodite. There's demonic worship taking place to take you away from worshiping the, the one and true God. And if they're not careful, they're actually going to end up worshiping with demons. But here, in chapter 8, Paul starts the whole conversation first and foremost by focusing on a brother or sister in the Lord who struggles with these issues. That's the main point. And so we move then from eating at Corinth and now living in America without any of this idolatry issues for us. It's not remotely a problem for us. Southeast Asia, parts of Africa, they deal with some of this. But even there, most of the food that you would buy in a store doesn't have a connection to an actual sacrifice. The principles, though, are the same. If you live in a large city in the U.S., it could be quite possible that a boss would want you to, to wine and dine some really important clients. What if they want to go to a strip club? Paul, can we do that? Can we take clients to a strip club? No. No, you can't. Okay. But it's a business lunch at Hooters. They all have clothes on. What about that? Well, what about a sports bar? Is a sports bar okay? Can you do that? Well, wait a minute. Let's start talking about food for a minute. That coffee you're buying, is that company supporting wrong causes? Are those people exploiting their workers? What about your clothes? Where do they come from? Should we be boycotting that company? Should we be buying from that company? What about the car that you drive? Oh, you drive a car. Hmm. <laughs> and on it goes. What rating of movie is okay for a Christian to watch? What news channel should we be getting our information through? How come they have that bumper sticker on their car? Well, you clearly can't be a Christian and vote for that person. You can't have that schooling option for your children. So, while Costco does not sell rotisserie chicken sacrificed to Aphrodite, Pizza Hut does not offer a Zeus goat cheese option, we have the same problems of the heart that they were dealing with. It's the same human heart. It just changes in the problem in front of us. And Paul begins by speaking to those who consider themselves free from being overly scrupulous. Those who, who have an idea of what's going on. And he says, your freedom and rights do not free you to be autonomous, disconnected from God and other people. Freedom and rights are to be restrained for the sake of love. Love for the insecure, love for the vulnerable for whom your freedom might actually be their ruin. This kind of freedom, one author puts it, becomes a sin against Christ. And that's why Paul goes on in verse 11. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. 
Thus sinning against your brother, wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Love takes an interest in the other person. And this calls on us to have humble hearts when other people disagree with us. In Romans 14, Paul has a weak, strong argument there. It is a bit different because in Romans 14, it's largely centered on Jewish food laws and practices. But there he says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. And he tells him, stop passing judgment on one another. I'm right is not the same as I am loving. Why should you alter your behavior because of them? Because of love. You are loved by God. They are loved by God. As verse 3 tells us, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. To be known by God is far more important than the little we think we know. To be known by God is to be in covenant with him. That special promise, that special relationship which comes through Jesus. The Son has made the Father known to us. And as the Father looks on us, He sees the righteousness of Christ that He has given to us by grace. We can't be indifferent to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Nor can we write them off as unbelievers if they don't think like we do. We we can't write anyone off who's made an image and likeness of God. And someone would surely be going, Paul, wait, wait, wait. Paul, you just don't understand. You see, I'm right about this. They're wrong. I'm right. I'm right. They're wrong. I am right is not the same as I am loving. You can be right and not have love. None of this is easy. It forces us to deal with our proud and sinful hearts. From Pastor Robert Rayburn, it's been a while since I quoted him, so here's a good one. There is something, always something heroic in a true Christian life. There ought to be something heroic in yours and mine. The character of sacrifice ought to be writ large over your days and nights and mine as well. People ought to be forced from time to time to wonder why we do what we do, why we make the choices we make. We live in a different way. We treat others differently. Think about it. We live in a a time, particularly, that's just saturated with superhero movies on the big screen and on streaming. Everywhere we have superheroes. Yet we have so few people who really live heroically in this way. Looking back over the last two years, there was not a lot of self-giving and preferring of others in a heroic sense by most. Agree with me or you're my enemy. Agree with me or I don't have to take your concerns seriously. Now, to be sure, we can easily justify our hard hearts. We can say, well, we're right, you know. We got to figure it out. We're right. They're wrong. There are serious consequences if we give in to those who are wrong. We just feed their ignorance. We just continue to support a lie. You know, real love is not afraid to give the hard truth. 
You know who didn't say any of these things? Paul. What he did say, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again. That's what Paul said. And so the question comes back to us, how do you push against your own hard heart in in these matters, in these circumstances? And to know yourself, what are the dangerous areas of self-justification for not doing this? We we all will do this in a different way. We'll, We'll justify why our being right is okay to disregard another person. Which way is that for you? There's something, always something heroic in true Christian life. There ought to be something heroic in yours and mine. You see, brothers and sisters, we can watch Batman 8, Spider-Man 10, Avenger 14, but fail to live heroically for Jesus. To love someone sacrificially is heroic. The Corinthians had real concerns with what to do with food and idols. And we don't have those same concerns. But Paul's words hit us in the same way. As for your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. That's the word that comes to us. How do you love large? Live large by loving large. A large heart. A a large heartedness that takes interest in the, the world of other people. It takes real interest in them. It takes their concerns in a real way. Because God has taken our concerns real. Because you are known by Jesus, who is concerned for you. Therefore, we take the love that we have received from Jesus. We take the freedom that he has set us free in to use it as the bonds of love to other people. Not a freedom to do whatever you want to do but a freedom to serve others, particularly those who may disagree with you that make this all the more difficult. Brothers and sisters, live heroically in your Christian life. This brings glory and honor to him. As these Corinthians were going around and living their life and people were like, you're not doing things the same way that we're doing things. That's weird. Why? And they had an opportunity to tell their neighbors, I'm doing this because of Jesus. In the same way, we have an opportunity to do things differently in such a way that people go, you're not doing this the way that everybody else is doing. That's weird. Why? Because I love Jesus. I've been known by God. And I can give up these things because they're paltry in comparison to the love that God expresses through me to them. I'll never eat meat again if that's what it takes. Because they're way more important than my menu. They're way more important than my fill in the blank. Because Jesus has died for them 
Jesus has died for me. I will love them and lift up their knees ahead of my own. And I am only going to do this by the Spirit of God who dwells in me, who enables me to rise above my own sinful heart, to live that kind of heroic life here in Kalispell, Montana. Pray with me. Father, we are so grateful that we are known by you. We are so grateful that you have opened our eyes to see. And Lord, we would ask where we have taken that knowledge, where we have taken those great truths and used them to hurt others, we ask that you would forgive us. Father, that you would give us the wisdom to know how to to live and navigate some of these tough questions. But Lord, we would pray first and foremost that your love would be what people see. We pray that your spirit in us would cause the the radiance of Jesus to shine forth from us, that people would, would have such a desire to know more of who he is. We ask, Lord God, that you would make us faithful witnesses as we love one another. We pray and ask these things through Jesus.